0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 108 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two youthful horse lovers who are changing the lives of horses for the better. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Coach Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen.
2: Greetings, Debbie. How are you? I'm good. Coast to coast here. Coast to coast. Are we, there we aren't go. we?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear your chipper voice. It's always good to catch up every couple of weeks. I'm really happy to hear you.
2: I know. There's always so much going on everywhere. Um, I'm fixing to get ready to go down, go up. I'm going to head north up to Road to the Horse in another couple of weeks. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah so that's going to be exciting for me. But I wanted to ask you a quick question today. Yeah. Okay. Monty does all kinds of cool different things as he travels around the world. And at okay. the end of each show, we go over this, the upcoming schedule each time. And it always amazes me how yeah. how, how often he's never home. Yeah. <laughs> and I noticed coming up in Ireland he's going to do Monty's special training. Mm-hmm. Now, t- tell me exactly what Monty's special training is. Okay.
1: Yeah, it is it does look a little different on the calendar a than a yeah. demonstration. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Typically when he travels internationally, he does what he calls A demonstration. And that's usually it's usually in the evening, not always Sunday afternoon, sometimes for travel and things like that. But a demonstration is typically um, we'll start with that is because he's been doing this since the early 90s. And, you know, a lot of people have seen it. And the horses change, but the format is actually pretty exciting. So he hasn't changed a whole lot in the formatting of it. And he takes typically three or four horses on the evening. He'll have cho- chosen for maybe 12 or 20, um, from the day people bring them in and he looks them over and then he chooses those that fall into different categories. um, as tough a horse as he can choose in each category because those are the most educational and that's like a buck or a biter. That's the remedial. Then there's a starter, never had a saddle bridle and rider on. And then there's, um, Almost always a non-loader, yeah. <laughs> and, right? Yes.
2: universal. Yeah,
1: <laughs> universal. They either got ridden to the event, or they're at the equestrian center right there, and they've never left the event. <laughs> you know, that's just that's always a humorous stories, and they, you know, they go really fast. So you, you, there's a an interval or an intermission in the middle, and people get to sign books and ask him questions, and it's really fun. It's really fast paced. Most horses are done in. 35 to 45 minutes you know no matter what their issue is they've been bucking for nine years it's still the same we have really good riders and all that so this fast-paced demonstration he, he won't take an untouched horse takes too long you know an untouched horse you know to get the first halter on people will fall asleep <laughs> you know, right it just takes too long so we, we stick to those issues now we did a thing in like back in 2006 where we went, wouldn't it be nice to just kind of slow the pace down and let people really get involved and in asking questions, everything. We created a class, a course called Monty Special Training. And it's five days. That's at Flagstaff Farms in August. And it has been now since then. So we've been doing that a long time. And we get a lot of um, Monty Roberts University lessons out of that because the whole thing is really incremental and broken down into parts and people really get to see and ask questions and you get other instructors involved and in doing parts and pieces of it because it's an all day thing. Oh. And uh, and dad would be exhausted oh. <laughs> to be able to do, you know, eight hours a day. So the Monty special training on a one-off like this, to answer your question, this one happening, happening in uh, Guildford, uh, England, there's one also happening in Cavan near Dublin, and those are all days, but just one day, and the instructors are the ones that hired Monty. They're sort of the promoters too, but they're promoting the concepts in their area. And in fact, in Cavan, we have three instructors that are putting that on. We have Porek Foy, we have Katrina O'Meara, and we have Claire Conahan. So don't those sound Irish? And uh, and they're so tough. These, these guys are so tough. Claire grew up riding thoroughbreds and everything too. She's still young. They're all under... 35 I think and uh she's like this teeny tiny little elf you know a leprechaun and she gets up on these big thoroughbreds tough as nails Claire um or sorry that's Claire uh, Katrina had her baby like two days ago and she is up for this event that's wow. coming up on March 24 she's like bring it you know wow <laughs> yeah she's she's amazing and um she handles horses really well and poor you know Thank God we have a man in the in the lineup of certified instructors. It's rare, and he is amazing. He's a little bit older than them, and a dad, and just is so good with horses. And they're all from different areas of Ireland, but they're all going to be there, and they'll all be assisting Dad and doing their own. You know, specialties too. some are better with the groundwork, some are better up in the saddle, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's much more of a three ring circus, a variety day. And it's a more intimate audience, the ticket price is a little higher, and people really get up close and personal work with the horse. They're not hands on. Every once in a while, if there's somebody in the audience that's a trainer that's really, you know, they know them, and um, they'll get in there and do a join up or something for the first time, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it is just more an, an extensive view of the concepts, kind of like the next step.
2: So this is a little bit more, what would I call it, perhaps a clinic or seminar feel in that um, the audience... It's going to be interacting directly with the trainers in the pens because the trainer in the pens going to be discussing what they're doing and why they're doing it. And the audience will have an opportunity to say, um, when this, that or when this happened, you did that. Um, how did that occur and things like that?
1: Absolutely, really. I want to go.
2: Can I get a ticket? Yeah, I know they're so
1: good. They're really good. Um, actually, the cabin one is sold out. They're looking at a second date, Yay. and the one, the March twenty eighth. Um, we just put it on a couple weeks ago. We just put the cal- on the calendar because um, there was such a demand happening all over. So yeah, if somebody wants to, go, it's a great way to see parts of the world too. That are really cool. <laughs> yeah, there
2: we go. You so know, they are pretty nice. you've you've got three trainers who are going to be participating with Monty in this um, special mm-hmm. training mm-hmm. about how many certified trainers do you have in the UK total? Is that an unfair number to ask for on the, well,
1: online? yeah, that's Ireland has, Oh, three or four more than the, mm-hmm. th- I think I, there's six or eight in mm-hmm. Ireland. I'm, I'm guessing I'm thinking, and uh, some of them have been instructors a long time and some of them are fairly new. Like Claire's one of the newest ones. And um, then in the UK itself, like back over to England, Scotland, mm-hmm. Wales, we have,
2: Ooh, maybe between 10 and 15 10 and 15 mm-hmm. Interesting so that there are sufficient number of trainers that it makes sense that they can um, yeah come together good. and do this location. kind of thing that's kind of cool well, It is great. I really hope to cool. get to do more of these this sounds fascinating I'm oh, good I'll tell you more about them yeah and
1: and the go to exotic locales
2: Well I so. <laughs> go to go to a lot of exotic locales but as we know human beings all learn a little bit differently some of us our visual learners. Some of us are tactile learners. Some of mm-hmm. us learn well when we hear something or auditory learners mm-hmm. and we can hear the same thing said by our writing instructor a million and one times. And somehow it doesn't quite click. We don't have that light bulb moment. Someone, someone can randomly come along or you attend a clinic. They're telling you the exact same thing and you have a light bulb moment because yeah. it somehow was presented in a different way. It's the same information desiring the same result. So I think it's really cool that Monty's setting up and working with these instructors because they're using the language of Equus Mm -hmm. and they've learned it from Monty. So they're learning it properly, but there are going to be subtle differences, the tone of their voice, um, whether or not they say something before they do it or do it, then say it, things like that. Mm -hmm. that And the horse. And the horse is going to be different. Sure. What, what it manifests, how it manifests. So, That is going to just further broaden who can take it in and learn it for themselves and take it home and apply it themselves in their everyday horsey life. That's just so exciting. (laughs) Isn't
1: that fun? And, and, you know, I think one of the things that's most important about the whole thing is to show that it can be taught. It's not a guru thing. It's, you know, it's definitely teachable. And dad always says, he always, he always says this in any kind of student gathering. And I just love it because the instructors can't hear it enough. I don't want any of my students to be as good as me. I want them all to be much better because if he is a founder of a concept, that's just a base, you know, that's it take it, sure. run with it, put your own. And he said, I'll be the first to, to claim it and give you credit. You know, when you mm-hmm. make a change that the horse says, yeah, that's better. I'll change. I'll change and I'll give you credit for it. And he does, he goes all over the world saying, Ian Vandenberg taught me about the thumb on the arm and uh, Richard Schrake taught me about the arm. And you know, this guy, you know, he mm-hmm. he'll give credit where credit is due because that's what grows the concepts. It's important.
2: Yeah, and, and we all have to take them and apply them to our best abilities. Yeah. You know, whether, whether or not we want to be uh, ambitious like Jamie and become a certified instructor right. or you want to be putt, putt like me and just learn it organically and make yeah. my relationships with my horses better and, and more productive and safer. Couldn't Both ends se- of the spectrum. That's very good. Right? That's exactly right. right. Exactly. right. There we go. Cause we all want to be better horse people. Right. There we go. That's so cool. Well, we have some really awesome and amazing and fascinating guests with wonderful exotic names to come up today. Yes, we do. <laughs> so I've well, been practicing. You've been practicing. <laughs> you, do, you do it so much better than I do. Let's take a little break and hear from our friends at Omega Fields, and then we will speak with our first guest. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health a solid nutritional foundation is key ideally horses are able to graze fresh growing grasses which most closely mimic their natural diet but that may not always be possible and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods one component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids while more prevalent in fresh forages Harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horseshine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horseshine. From Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com.
1: Arian Aguilar was born in Lodi, California in 1994 and then moved to Brenham, Texas. His sister, Valentina, and his parents, Karen and Alfonso Aguilar, also involved or in horses, and his father Alfonso was born in Mexico where he learned how to handle horses with respect and read their body language in order to interact with them. From a young age, Arian has shown a passion for animals and he's had the opportunity to interact with reptiles and dogs and sheep and horses. And he now holds equestrian clinics in Europe focusing on creating relationships with horses based on no confrontation and reading their body language. A balanced approach to equitation on the ground and in the saddle is important to Arian. Though young, he carries the education on of the old vaquero style. Well, welcome, Arian Aguilar. Thank you for joining us all the way from Portugal today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for uh, listening to me. Oh, it's very exciting. It's exciting to have both you and Monty on. Hi, Dad.
0: Hello, I'm here.
1: (laughs) I'm glad you're here. I, you know, I'll start with you, Monty, that I, I wondered, I was thinking about Arian, he's pretty young. Arian, how old are you now?
3: I'm 23 now.
1: 23, and you've done a lot in those 23 years, so we're excited to hear about it. But, Monty, did you imagine that 20 years ago, you know, that training horses would be where it is today? And and where do you predict it'll be in 20 years from now? Give us a vision.
0: Well, I was just working on this autobiography of mine. And it's absolutely true that while I won 11 world championships in the uh, basically in the 50s and 60s, that my performances the best of them would barely make it to the finals today um improvements have been made dramatically and i think we have to keep our minds open and keep looking for ways to improve continuously because i still think we're only scratching the surface which means that in my time we didn't even make a mark on the surface so um I, I'm serious when I say that um, organizations such as the FeI and uh, the National Raining Association and the Rain Cow Horse Association, the show jumpers and the dressage people of the United States, they all have to look for ways to improve their performances through giving points for those things that are good and taking points away where they're bad. I know those are competitions, but um, 20 years ago, we were at least 20% lower on the scale than we are today. And in 20 years, I think the acceleration will even um, be faster. I think the uplift will grow. It generally does in these things, like the computers and stuff. Once they get the word, then it seems that um, incremental uplift takes place faster as you move along.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, Arian, we wanted to have you on with Monty today to share your mutual ad- admiration for horses. I know you both appreciate horses. Uh, you're young and you're still learning so much. What's your vision of what training would look like 20 years from now?
3: Well, first of all, I have to say that, um, I mean, what we're doing now is uh, would not be possible without the base that was laid by the people that started. Uh, Monty included in this. Uh, my father also did a, a big part of that. Um, uh, so I, I really have a lot of respect for, for the guys that got the, the whole ball rolling and that uh, got a snowball effect to where we are now. I think that would have not been possible without, without that. Um, and what I have kind of made my kind of like life, uh, work or, uh, it's starting to become my life work. I should probably say is, um, to try to take what was done by, by these guys and try to see where do we go on from here? How do we keep things balanced? Um. Uh, we see, I think, uh, in humans, a lot of uh, extremism. Uh, some people uh, stay on the basics and they only repeat the basics until the horse are basiced out. Uh, <laughs> and other people go a little bit to the to the extremes of, uh, of um, yeah, for example, I have a lot of uh, people in Germany that uh, will never say no to a horse because they're afraid that the horse will not love them anymore after mm-hmm. this or something like that. Uh, So what I'm trying to do is how do we stay in balance? In my opinion, what we're trying to do uh, today is uh, trying to grow in the way that we build a relationship with the horse. So how do we stay in balance in that relationship? And how do we keep it from not becoming something extreme as well? Uh, What I'm trying to do is uh, to look at other places. Monty said so well that uh, we're advancing pretty quickly. Um, So we have a big hunger, I think, of um, information, and we need to look for places to get that information from. So one of the ways that I'm trying to do that is that I'm trying to look for uh, training other animals. Um, For example, a few days ago, I was uh, in a conference uh, talking about sea lion training and trying to see how we can connect that uh, to horse training, which uh, techniques of that uh, kind of training we can put in. Uh, Today I was actually working with some giraffes. So trying to see how can we put some uh, techniques that are used with the giraffe training, put it into the horse training. So we have a, a very big hunger for information, trying to get everything we can so that we can have as much information and based on that information, then advance in the way that we are not just training. I mean, uh, training. Every, uh, there's a lot of people today that can do uh, an exercise with a horse or teach a horse a trick. But how can we, what's the best way to create a real relationship with a horse?
1: Mm. That environment thing, Monty, yes?
0: Yep, I hear him and it sounds good.
1: It does. So so you're you're learning so much cross species as well. It sounds to me like you're saying there's a it needs to be a balance between discipline or a communication and allowing the horse to build a relationship with you and explore that as well. Am I getting that right, Arianne? Yes,
3: yes, uh, I believe so. I believe there is a difference between just teaching a trick and actually making a relationship and that uh, the the difference is built by um the, the types of boundaries that you, that you uh, put and the good and the b- bad things that happen in that relationship, which I think both are very important in a balanced way. So mm-hmm. um the times that you, uh, I mean, the, the logical way to say it would be punished, but I would like to say it, call it more, just say no to the horse saying no. It's very important in a relationship. It uh, lets the other one know uh, what you like, what you uh, don't like. Um, it uh, lets the other, um, Being in the relationship, no, if you're unhappy with a situation and then saying yes, so that the other one knows when uh, you're happy with the situation, when you are uh, experiencing something that you would like to continue. And this uh, balance between yes and no uh, will allow the relationships uh, to grow. I always try to give examples of that. For example, to me, in my uh, relationship with my horses, there are some things that have to be. I. Uh, I'm pretty strict in them. For example, a horse has to go into a trailer. I would prefer if the horse likes to go into a trailer, but that's the thing that uh, if the horse doesn't like to do, in my opinion, I like to push the horse a little bit and say that's something that you have to do because that is a security thing for the horse. If one day the horse has a colic has to go to, um, I don't know, to the hospital or something, then I would like that I uh, to know that I have the horse in a way that uh, I can get him to that uh, safe position. But I would never do that, for example, with a Spanish walk, right? With mm-hmm. a Spanish walk, if he wants to do the Spanish walk, great. If I can find a way that he likes it, great. If not, then I'll do something else. There's so many exercises that we can do. So I would never say you have to do a Spanish walk, right? Um, but there, in my opinion, in uh, relationships with uh, horses and with uh, uh, with humans, there are things that you have set. There are, there are uh, personal rules of yours, and there are things that you... Do because you like uh, to enjoy the time together.
1: Good. Yeah, that's great. So what does yes and no look like in your training?
3: Well, the in my opinion, it's the same thing that we do with humans. Uh, when we like something, then we try to show it by doing something that we think the other person will also like. Um, maybe we say something nice. Maybe we do something nice. Um, and when we don't like something, then we show it by, uh, doing something that the other person will not like, uh, or okay. in this case, the other horse will not like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do something that the one does not like, either we say something that, uh, he doesn't like, or we do something that he doesn't like. And I think that really depends on what, uh, what your relationship with this horse is. So if you have a horse that you've never met before, you're probably not really going to be as strict as if you have a, a longer relationship and you're already
0: expecting more from each other.
4: Hmm.
1: Because that horse you know, doesn't you understand. Know, Debbie, yeah, go ahead. Jump in.
0: I, I just have to say here that do you realize how incredibly happy I would have been with myself if I could have made that little speech when I was 23 years old? <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: I couldn't make that <laughs> speech you. then. Uh, they would hang me if I made that speech then. That's true. Then. Um, horse has to do what you tell him to, and if it hurts, it hurts. Uh, all of that sort of thing. I would ask, Adrian, uh do you know the term picnic, P-I-C-N-I-C? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Okay. You know you could go out and have a picnic in the woods somewhere.
3: Yes, yes, and, I know that and, one. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. But but this one is P I C N I C and I use it like a Bible and it's positive instant consequences, just like you just described. If the horse does something you like, then you do something very positive that the horse likes to do. If you do right. if the horse does something you don't like then he gets negative instant consequences. And that might be something right. that he doesn't like to do, like backing up a lot or or cantering in a small circle or doing some work um, that he doesn't particularly find uh, all that nice. And then when he's right again, to go back to those things that are very nice for him. And picnic has worked so well for me um, along the line, you probably don't know my saying that a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to do, but the mm-hmm. great trainer yeah. can cause the horse to want to do it, and yes, I, I, heard do that the, one I I do that same thing with the horses I put in the trailer at my demonstrations. Remember that oftentimes they ride them fifty miles or Uh, 80 kilometers or something from uh, home to to my demonstration because they haven't been able to put them in a trailer for two years or three years. And before the evening, I want to set it up so that the horse wants to go in the trailer. And I never have struck, I've never struck a horse uh, in front of an audience to go into the trailer or without an audience to go into the trailer because striking the horse causes them to want first to fight and then they'll do it but they won't like doing it and uh, so right. i i don't i don't i also don't work with food although i i don't have any problem if somebody puts something in the trailer that they like to eat when they get in there that's okay but food i don't think is a very good trophy for horses so i don't use that But the words that you're saying are so incredibly heartening to me. They make me feel so good because you are that person that I was trying to create 50 years ago and 40 years ago. Thank you. Yes, you are. Thank you. And, you know, after you, you're going to create somebody that's better than you. And that just means the horses are going to get a better life and a better life. And, uh, after all, they've been here for 50 million years and we've only dealt with them for 6,000 years, but it hasn't been so nice for them.
3: Yeah, I think, I think that's what we're, I mean, what we're trying to do is uh, exactly what you said before. We're trying to create a better world for them. We're trying to, um, advance in a way that it will uh, help uh, the horses and the people I think uh, what we're also uh, doing, I don't know if we're really thinking about it, but uh, I think we're definitely doing it, is um, we are also making a better place for the people. I think horses are going to be one of the best vessels that we're going to have to bring uh, our uh, humanity uh, back to to nature. I think we're having today a very big problem. We're we're building these big stone cities where people are... um, they're stopping to. They're not learning anymore how to how to be in nature. You know what's natural. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Uh, was just t- today this morning. I was just watching a comment. You know, on a on a YouTube video of a lion that uh, that's taking care of a little zebra. You know, and then the people underneath this, uh, the comments were really saddening to me. The people are commenting. You know, oh look, not even lions are eating meat anymore. Why are we eating meat? Uh, why yeah, are we eating yeah, meat? yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, I mean, um. Reading this was very sad to me because people are really starting to lose their their nature, you know that they, they yeah. they're starting to understand they're stopping they're not understanding anymore that that life is not only about giving gifts. it's not only about being positive. it's not only about uh, living. it's also about death. it's also about the negative stuff, you know it's uh, it's about the balance yeah. between those two things. It's the negative yeah. that lets you know how good the positive is and it's the death that lets you know how good life is. So I think yeah. um, horses are going to test that again. I think they will bring it back for us because uh, I think horses are going to teach us that you cannot just be all positive and then the horse will love you. that's not the way it works. The horses mm-hmm. will uh, love you if you love them and love is not shown only by gifts. you cannot just yeah. give somebody gifts and they will love you. They will love yeah. you, if you if they notice that you care about them and that uh, that you have a very that you're willing to do for them what they would not do for themselves.
0: Right. Yeah. So
3: I think uh, that's something that people forget a lot. Sometimes they go like, oh, but you put pressure on the horse. Yes, of course I put pressure on the horse. I care (laughs) if he does this or not. And the horse will know one day, he will know one day that I put pressure on him because I love him and not because I hate him. It's like a kid. I mean, of course I was angry at my dad sometimes when he... I don't know, uh, punished me for doing something wrong. Of course I was angry at the moment, but today it's exactly the reason that I respect him and I love him. It's because he punished me and did, um, and forced me to do some things that I didn't think that were right, but he knew, he knew better. He, he thought that it was the right choice. So he pushed me to do it. And today I know that he pushed me because he loved me. Right. So that's, that's, that's love. Love is not only about giving a gift. It's about, it's about the negative stuff as well. It's about, um, doing what you, what you feel the other ones uh, should be doing, and sometimes even putting a little bit of pressure on them, um, because that pressure can turn can show the other ones that you actually care. So I think that's something yeah. that people are forgetting today, and I really think horses are the best way to get it back.
0: Hmm. Well, you're a very special person. I can absolutely tell that uh, with a telephone conversation. and And where are you at the moment?
3: Right now, I'm in Portugal. Uh, We're uh, looking for a place to live here. Uh, We're uh,
0: looking for the good weather. (laughs) Are you married? Uh, No, I'm not. No, I am not. Okay. Um, Well, you said we're looking for, and I thought maybe uh, it's not your father that moves to Portugal, huh?
3: Yes, it is. Uh, Actually, we're moving here with the whole family. My mother my father is uh, is, uh, here in Portugal right now um and uh, i'm here because i would like to also find uh, maybe a place here i really like the place i love the horses here uh the horses here have a lot of spirit uh they haven't been um, broken as much as in other con- countries uh, countries so i really i really like the type of horses here so let's see you what know, we can find
0: <laughs> a lot of my family came to this country from portugal and uh oh really they were yeah and they were fishermen uh, oh, and, but well, yeah, but, here. but they were people of nature, and they loved uh, the the horses Martins and uh, Ruda. But anyway, I w- I've never been to Portugal. It's one of oh. the fewest. Well, it's geez. one of the few countries I've never been there. And uh, why don't we get together and have a thing together in Portugal?
2: Sure
3: sure definitely let's do it i'm all for it um, Great. i think you're going to love the horses here i mean the horses here are amazing they have so much energy they're they're very they're very explosive they're very passionate animals they're the yeah i think they i think it's because they still have a lot of this uh, blood for 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 war horses you know where they had to bond with this one horse that would uh, be life or death for you you know if you had a good relationship with this horse it was gonna carry into uh, you into battle, and you had a chance of surviving. If you did not have a relationship with that horse, then good luck. So I yeah. think they still have that that old type of of breedings and of lines here, and I think that's what what has some some really nice uh, some really nice characters of horses here.
0: Well, I've worked with quite a few Lusitanos in uh, in Italy and in Spain, and even in France. Yeah. Uh, people who took Lusitanos there and, and some in England too and uh, you know they are the forerunners of our cow horses here uh, the barb horses that yeah. came across from Africa to Portugal and Spain and um, they, they are incredible athletes and they have a desire to, to be part of our lives and, and really generous with us if we get it right
3: yeah, yeah, that's exactly what uh, what I'm finding here. Uh, my father has quarter horses, um, okay. and he actually brought them from Texas uh, over here to Portugal, so we have them here. Uh, and I have a, a Lusitano horse, so it's really nice to to see the differences and how the lines were uh, going around and how um, people selected for a specific type of of uh, temperament. That was uh, but, that was really interesting.
0: But you don't you don't have a Texas accent, and you don't have a uh, Portuguese accent.
3: No, I'm uh, <laughs> I've been living on the world basically uh, in my life. I was born in California, um, and when I was in California, my mother spoke uh, uh, Swiss German uh, to me because uh, she's Swiss. Uh, my dad spoke uh, uh, Spanish because he's uh, a Mexican from Morelia. Uh, and then everyone else spoke English to me, so I pretty much have three mother languages. I I start them all at the same time, <laughs> so I have some and, weird accents. Uh, and
0: you you don't speak Portuguese? Not yet, but I'm working on it. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather. But my Spanish helps a lot. Yeah, sure. My grandfather he spoke por- perfect Portuguese, and I would ask him, "Please teach me." how to speak Portuguese I want when I was a little boy I want to learn how to speak Portuguese and he taught me two words or three words I guess it is very very good words Calaboca. boca yeah (laughs) that's an important one (laughs) he told me to keep my mouth shut (laughs) yeah (laughs) well
3: you know what they say
0: the only way to listen is to shut up first, right? So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, Debbie, this has been great. And, and uh, I mean it when I say I would love to include Portugal in my um, summer, if I could, you know.
1: That'd be fantastic. I, I've been to Portugal and I'd love to go back. I, I'll I'll cherry pick that one. But we'd love to get you two together. And if you're if you're basically basing there, Arian, then we'll um, we'll have to go offline and talk about that a little
4: bit.
0: Well, he he has to he yeah, has to course. tell us. He, he uh, Arian has to tell us that we we're wanted there, or the people would come uh, in great numbers to to see me, or something I like see. this, and then we talk about it.
1: Right, exactly. Well, thank you both today for some fun talk that we got to be listening in on to, uh, to, I think, we see a little bit of the future and some of the master. So there we are. It was really fun today. Thank you both for being on Horseman Chip Radio.
4: Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths waiting for the outcome. And it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out, relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized. And everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his Cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallo's are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots.
1: Christy Counts is originally from Oklahoma City, and in 2007, Christy founded the Central Oklahoma Humane Society, OK Humane. She remained the CEO of OK Humane until moving to New York in December of 2013. Christy was a founding director and vice president of the Metro Alliance for Animal Life and served as the vice chairman, too, of the Oklahoma State Commercial Pet Breeder Board. In 2009, Christy was the OKC business 40 Under 40, and the Journal's Records Achievers Under 40. She's quite a leader, and she was in leadership in Oklahoma City and is currently a board member of the community pet care clinic. Her hobbies include horses, traveling, skiing, enology. more about that later. She lives in Bedford, New York now with her husband, three children, and a menagerie of animals. Well, welcome, Christy Counts. I'm so glad to have you here as president of The Right Horse, and we're dying to hear all about some of your new initiatives now, but how are you?
5: I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be on the line today and have the opportunity to talk to you.
1: Well, thank you. Um, I got to know you through another Christy, actually, Christy Schulte, who we've had on this show before, who everybody knows is just um, a dynamite leader and did so well with so many horse initiatives that she's done so good for you what a coup to get her
5: i know we feel very very fortunate and i'm a big believer in hiring an all-star staff so we can get all of our goals accomplished and she already has hit the ground hit the ground running and we're really excited to have her join our team
1: yeah i bet you are well tell us a little bit about the right horse what's your what's your uh you've got an elevator speech you guys haven't been around that long right when did you what's inception for you
5: Yes, we're we're fairly new. So we launched a year ago, uh, in beginning of 2017, although a year prior to that we were in planning. So we planned for a year, and then we launched a year ago. So we are new. Um, we are empowered by the Watershed Animal Fund, which is a private family foundation that wanted to step into this space and do something big and everlasting for horse welfare. So we did kind of a you know, a full-blown analysis for close to a year of the issues of facing horses in this country and kind of really tried to figure out what it was we were facing and why nothing had really been done. And we came to the conclusion that there was really no collaboration in this space to really, you know, where groups came together to help horses and that there was really no leadership. Um, So once we kind of identified those, you know, those areas that we could really be of help, we also started to identify some other things that we felt like needed to happen, which is you know there's about 300,000 horses that fall at risk um, at this in this country each year. and we wanted to know why. So we kind of dug in and identified the reasons why we think they fall at risk and have started to systematically you know start working to kind of change the stigma around these horses and start to help show the public that they have value and that we need to provide smooth and safe transitions for these horses.
1: Yes, good. So here's what got my attention. Your goal is to massively increase horse adoption in the United States. Like, that's healthy. That's a really big goal. But I'm so glad that somebody said it out loud. I mean, what a great mission statement to say, no, we're not just a, you know, sanctuary over here or help us. You know, we've got Uh, We've got to get thoroughbreds back into repurposing or, you know, all those, what I hear is the cacophony of this disjointed effort. And everybody's heart is big as all of outdoors to do these things for the horses. But that's, to me, I mean, I hope you do it. This is what's missing is this this collaboration. So tell us a little bit about the Watershed Animal Fund. I don't know much about that um, initiative or how they started you as an initiative out of them.
5: So the Watershed Animal Fund um, is part of the Arnall Family Foundation, which the trustee is Suanne Arnall, and uh, I've worked with her for about the last decade mm. on a number of initiatives involving child welfare and animal welfare and, and some criminal justice reform. Mm. She started the Arnall Family Foundation about three years ago, and the Watershed Animal Fund is the portion that's specifically designated for animals. And uh, the Watershed Animal Fund focuses on dogs, cats, and horses. But like you just mentioned, you know, we definitely did not want to just, you know, try to go out and work providing more sanctuaries. We don't really feel like that's the answer. We feel like there's some very obvious answers in this space, and we're ready to tackle those.
1: Yeah, great. Well. So how do you tackle that? How do you start to get people on board when you're kind of the new one out there and you've got all these people that have been, you know, plugging away and working hard? What do you do to draw us all together?
5: Well, so the first thing is, you know, as you may be aware, the horse industry is rather divided.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
5: and, you know, they they have so many reasons not to agree with each other, whether it's, you know, issues such as racing or training or you know, slaughter, all these different topics that keep them from working together, we decided to focus on the one thing that everyone does agree on, which is we need to do more horse adoptions in this country. Last year we think less than 10,000 horses were actually adopted in this country, which is a dismal number, Mm. Um, and we think we can do a whole lot better. And so we said, you know, if we just all kind of work together on this one topic and we don't talk about any of the things we don't agree on, we think we can actually get quite far.
1: Yeah. So what does that look like? Is that that a conference or is it a coming together by some online presence or what does that look like?
5: Well, so what we did is we designed the Right Horse Initiative, which is a collaboration of stakeholders that are all coming together to start using the same language and start to really work to change the stigma of, quote, rescue horses and start to add value to these horses and get them into the right homes. Um, Coinciding with a lot of the partners, which are funding partners as well, starting to really uh, work to pilot programs, new and innovative things that actually are life-saving and help these horses transition into second, third, fourth careers. Mm -hmm. If you look back at the dog and cat welfare world, In the last 15 years, the market share for shelter dogs has gone up dramatically. And because of that, now we are euthanizing record low numbers of dogs and cats in shelters. It went from euthanizing 10 million dogs and cats in shelters down to 1 million. Mm. So it was just really gaining market share. So we feel pretty strongly that with the right messaging and the right collaboration, we can come together and start supporting these horses in transition. And elevate those adoption numbers. Meanwhile, the okay. yeah, go good ahead. portion of these horses that are in these programs are, you know, some off, some people often think that these horses are not useful or not trained or they're lame. And that's actually not the case. The vast majority of them are fabulous horses and perfectly capable to go on to their next career.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just about education and some sort of... so so everybody's got to know about them out there. Is there some database that you're working with? And I'd love to hear about the numbers too. You've got the numbers on the dogs and cats. I mean, people hear numbers like 48,000 in the holding pens of Mustangs alone. So what are your numbers that you're working with um, that you guys want to bring down?
5: Well, So that's a really good question because what's really interesting is there's not a lot of data on this area. And so one of our projects that we're working on at the Right Horse is we have put together a data group. um, And so we've got the American Horse Council partnering with us along with the AAEP and Mm -hmm. the ASPCA and GFAS. And we're all coming together to start working together to start collecting this data. And we're going to be funding some positions to do just that. And we Mm -hmm. know that by really getting good hard data, it will help guide our work. Traditionally, all the work that's been done in this space has only been done because of anecdotal information. Mm -hmm. And we all know that's not really the way to do it.
1: Right. Well, you got our attention with this $50,000 innovation grant. (laughs) I got the press release. And uh, it said something about you're, you're opening up for submission, and it's under uh, the name of, which sounds so cool, Maddie, the Maddie Memorial Grant in honor of a Young Horsewoman. Maybe tell us a little bit about the grant and tell us why it was inspired by Maddie and what you're doing with that.
5: So Sean Patrick of Sean Patrick Training down in Florida is one of our partners with the Right Horse Initiative and has been a great partner to us. And he very sadly lost his daughter this past year. And uh, her her name was Maddie, and she was eight years old. And she uh, was really a very passionate young horsewoman. And we wanted to do something to honor her um, and honor Sean Patrick. And that's how we came up with the Maddie's Memorial Grant. And the purpose of the grant is really to drive innovation. As I mentioned, pilot programs are a really important piece of this puzzle. We know that, again, in the dog and cat space, I mean, it's a perfect parallel, that 20 years ago, progress started to be made when groups started investing in new and innovative ways to transition dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. That's never really been done in the horse world, and that's what we want to start driving. So by incentivizing groups, whether they're welfare groups or industry groups, to come up with you know innovative ways to transition horses. Um, we feel like that's the best way to start driving this innovation. And we also did another innovation grant at the end of last year, which was a $150,000 innovation grant. Mm -hmm. And the winner of that was the Kentucky Humane Society, and they are piloting a transport program for horses because in many cases, in certain Mm -hmm. parts of the country, certain breeds are really at risk because they're overpopulated in that part of the country, but if you go to a different region, they're in high demand. Yeah. So that is what that transport program will be doing is sending horses from low demand to high demand out in lieu of them potentially falling at risk.
1: Really good idea. So you're kind of like the Amazon of horse rescue. That's really good. <laughs> <It's> put <important>. Where <laughs> spots all over the place. Um, yeah, that's true. That is that you're, So what you're doing is you're peeling back those sticky spots that will... Uh, help eliminate when you do figure out how you build this database and get all the information out there, how do you move it around? Yeah, really good.
5: Definitely, definitely. And, And we're trying, you know, we've got a lot of pilot projects that are in the, you know, in motion right now. We've granted millions of dollars so far in pilot projects, and we've got other funding partners that are stepping up to join us. And as we know, collaborative funding and leveraging those dollars has the most impact.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the horses. Where do you draw lines? I mean, I know the wild horse and we work with Mustangs and do what we can, but we do feel like a drib drab you know uh, drip 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 a little bit at a time um and we would like to pump that up too we we'd like to help i know we can't even make a drop in the 48,000 or whatever the number is they're working with these days in the blm holding pens but tell us about the other sanctuary type horses um too or rescue horses i don't know what you're calling them i'm sorry is there a term that you use
5: well yeah we started thinking about this and you know one of the biggest problems is you know These, quote, rescue horses that end up in adoption facilities, most of them aren't really in need of rescue. They're healthy in many cases, trained horses. And so we don't want to tag them as a rescue because they don't need rehab and they don't need, you know, a rescue. They just need a new home. So we decided to instead term them as transition horses. Okay, Uh, and delineate them between an actual rescue horse because an actual rescue horse is a horse that was neglected or cruelly treated and it has to go through rehab and may or may not ever be, you know, adoptable. So that's one thing is we've got to delineate that population because a lot of really fantastic horses end up at risk in auction houses or out neglected in pastures, and there's no need for it. They just need more safety nets and, you know, smooth transitions into new homes.
1: Yeah. Good. So do you have, are you going to have a little criteria for what that looks like? I don't, you know, I'll be vague and big and say like age or training levels or anything like that. Well,
5: age is really not too much of a factor. What we know is that people will adopt older horses if they're trained. So one of the biggest issues is training. And, I mean, a trained horse is an adopted horse. And a lot of rescue groups around the country, they don't have the resources to provide training. So one of the pilot programs that we did in the last two years was fund one of our partners, which is a pretty big, strong organization that places several hundred horses a year, and has the infrastructure for a training program. We funded them to really Grow their training capacity, and so local adoption groups that didn't have trainers could send their horses to the Harmony <laughs> Center for training. Lovely, yeah. So suddenly, of all these horses that are no longer sitting in rescue groups or in sanctuaries, but now they're trained and now they're adopted.
1: Right, great, okay, that's it. So that's that transition, that's that bridge you're trying to make for these horses and uh, and the people that love them. So you're getting them back into. Uh, lives of people, which is our—that's what we advocate here on Horsemanship Radio. Is how do we keep horses in the people's lives? Because we don't even know all the qualities of horses that are um, good for the inside of us. You know, what's the old saying? It's what's there's something about the outside of a horse that's good for the inside of people, and uh, we we advocate for that too. So we want to partner with you. Anything we can do to. Uh, you know, get, you guys can be on any time you ask, and I would love to get the word out. I don't even know if you need the help. Really, I think what you're doing is you're building infrastructure right now. But if there's anything you want to um, shoot out to the world, you let us know.
5: Well, we do need help because, you know, we need megaphones. We need people talking about this, talking about the language change. We need partners to step up and say, no, we really are going to work together and we really are going to change the state of horse welfare. Um, We don't need to be having the issues that we're having. Uh, We can solve this. So we do need help, and we will definitely take you up on that. And, you know, a partnership for us just means that we philosophically align on this and that we all want to kind of speak the same language and push this boulder up this hill.
1: Yay. Okay. All right. I know it's, it's a tough one, but it's probably time. I think we were time. I'm, I'm re- I read your bio uh, to everybody. So everybody knows now that your hobbies include horses. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear you're a horse girl too. And travel and uh, enology. Now, I didn't say when I read your bio what enology is, but I will tell people that we live in horse country You can travel here, and we're in wine country. We're in Santa Barbara County, so I think we need to have you out here to the farm (laughs) to see what we do, Christy. And if you want to get out of the cold on that East Coast, we're about 75 today, so it's pretty nice. I,
2: I was
5: just there yesterday. I just flew back in town last night. What? You were there. I do. I come out to Santa Ana's area quite a bit. You'd be surprised.
1: Are you serious? Okay. You didn't visit us? All right. Okay. Now I what, I have to buy you a ticket? Is that what it is? No,
5: <laughs> I no wanna I'll be there anytime.
1: All righty. I want to show you our gentling pin. I want to show you what we do with the uh, the Mustangs and our program for that, too. And uh, I'd love to just, you know throw it out open source, anything we can do to help, um, we would love to be there for you and we'd love to meet you, so we'll have you on again, maybe we do a a little interview right here from Flaggisette Farms, it'd be really fun
5: Absolutely, I would love that and again, thank you so much for having us and we look forward to talking further with you
1: Thank you Christy, and thanks for being on Horsemanship Radio
4: Whisper the language of the herd Listen to don't have to say a
2: word. it's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we'd like to call ask Monty
6: leave this world a better place
4: the magic in the language
6: of the dear monty I have a two-year-old filly who from birth has chewed manes and tails. Her mothers, those of other broodmares, other foals, etc. I have tried all the old taste deterrent remedies. Nothing works. As a last resort, I put her with my old broodmares who stand no-nonsense, but even she even found one of them gentle enough to allow her to eat her lovely tail up to the dock. I have tried many things. I'm contemplating remote healing. She is the sweetest little pony with no other vices, and I'm tearing my hair out now. I have now had to separate her, which is arguably the worst thing to do, but she is eating her way through my herd and could cause herself internal damage. Any constructive comments would be most welcome. Monty's answer. This is a major problem on most breeding operations. Over the years, we've had problems with tail eating. I think it was about 10 years ago, one of my grooms from Mexico created a preparation that was very successful. He used the hottest chilies they grow in Mexico. He mixed them with cooking oil, then put the mixture in a blender and chopped it very fine. Using a glove, they rubbed it on the tails every day. We have never had tail eating since that time. If your pony can eat this mixture, then you have to take him to Mexico where everybody eats such hot food. If you don't have Mexican chilies, you can use cayenne pepper. It's just as effective, but makes it a bit more mess. But chilies are nice and clean. Many people believe that chewing tails may indicate physiological needs rather than behavioral challenge, such as boredom from being confined in small enclosures and unable to exercise freely. At my place, Flag is Up Farms, we put out salt blocks and a feed mix that contains minerals necessary for healthy horses. I encourage horse owners to ask their vets about the best mix for their horses in their
1: locale. There is no reason for this being a dietary problem if your horse's diet is balanced. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips.
0: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com.
6: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here?
2: Where in the
0: world is Monty Roberts.
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. March seventeenth, he will be at the demonstration at the Grange. That's coming up fast with special guest Martin Clunes. That's Doc Martin in Okehampton. Devon, UK. And on March 24, he'll be in Cavan near Dublin, Ireland for a Monty's special training. And March 28th, a secondary Monty's special training, but this one is in the south of England near Guildford. And then April 21, he's back here in California at the April 21 West Coast Dressage Convention in Thousand Oaks, California, USA. May 23 and 24. Now we have the first annual amazing the movement symposium and festival. We have certified instructors meeting up with us and presenters, nine different presenters there. It'd be really fun. May 25 to 27, we have a horse sense in healing right after the movement. And then July 23, 23 through the 3rd of August, we have our next annual gentling wild horses course with flags up farms. And then August 6 through 10, right after that is our five-day Monty's special training at Flag is Up Farms.
2: Quick question. Mm-hmm. August 23rd through August 3rd, Gentling Wild Horses at Flag is Up Farms. Is that an activity that the person attending needs to have their own wild horse to bring along? Ah, that would be fun. No,
1: it's July 23rd through August 3rd. And it we supply those wild horses. And we have typically gone from um, rescues, but we, a lot of them have been BLM, right off the mm-hmm. nation. Yeah, right off the. So it's the an
2: assortment of wild horses, up. and those who attend do not to have do not need to have any previous experience with wild horses, because no. the program is set up to keep everyone interested, learning, and safe. Safe was the operative word. Yes, we've got a great IFA gentling
1: facility there, which keeps everybody safe. And people, we've had everybody from complete greenies to uh, spent their whole life training horses in the same class.
2: I think this this is such an excellent opportunity for someone because there's so much interest in Mustangs now. And rightfully so. They're fascinating creatures, and they deserve our respect, and they deserve to be um, given good training and good homes. But it's such an opportunity to learn an effective and safe way to be handling them. Because every so often you still hear the horror stories that somebody fell in love with the idea of a Mustang and thought it was just like getting a, a remedial horse who's not been handled right um and i i think it's a little bit different and it it yeah it will pay dividends. it's hard to,
1: hard to parent through that yeah yes, it really is yes. and i think that the thing that everybody learns uh, no matter what the experience level is how to understand a horse better there we go and yeah that's what keeps you safe
2: yeah, understand what a horse really is and what a human really is and how how those two can come together safe i love it so if you, need, if you have not committed that all to memory and you need to know where to call or where to go, you can go to MontyRoberts.com. That's the website. All this information and much, much more can be found there. You can also call Flag is Up Farm and talk to a real live, helpful human being who can give you all of the information you need about Monty's calendar and more. And the phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you will find links, pictures, and more information about today's guests. And we love your feedback. Please follow Monty Roberts on Facebook. Go to Facebook and type in Monty Roberts. Look for the one with the little blue checkmark. That's the official page. And if you're a Twitter, you can follow Monty Roberts there. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And after all of that, you're not going to want to miss any shows here on the Horse Radio Network. You can get the app by going to your app store and searching Horse Radio Network and download it. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy, and there are no ads. Or you can follow us on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher.
1: That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. We love them. Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and com. You make our show go. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network, too, at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.